0: As we come to this last message in, in a series, Developing Unblemished Integrity, I want to think for a little bit about the situation that we're in when we put on the whole armor of God. You realize as we went through each and every piece of that over a period of about six Sundays, we understand that the armor of God is there not to, to, for us to be offensive, but to be defensive. We're not going to fight. God is fighting the battle for us. And when we put that armor on, we are winners already because we're identifying with Christ, the one who has already won the battle. You don't have to get up any morning preparing to serve Christ and ever expect that you will fail in that day. You've already won. You've already succeeded. And it's important for us to realize that our call is clear as Christians. We're to overcome the world. There are people out there that are hurting and broken. There are people out there that need to hear about Christ. And sometimes we forget that their situation might be a little bit confusing to us because we look at them and they look healthy and happy. They're dressed well. They have vacations. And they may enjoy more of, of life's benefits than we do. But yet they're lost. And one heartbeat past right now they're facing an eternity without God. And it's so important for us to understand what God has called us to do. The passage in Ephesians that's been our anchor passage through this whole series is Ephesians 6.12 that says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. No, we're not fighting against men. We're not fighting against institutions. We're not fighting against uh, political ideologies. No, we're fighting against evil, supreme evil. that's seeking in every way to dominate and destroy this world. And, And we see that more now than ever before. And the reality is, we are called to continue our work. I will tell you with all my heart, I believe that the way we're going to overcome the problems in America will never happen in Washington, but they'll happen inside this church. They'll never happen in legislatures all around the nation, but they will happen at your prayer altar in the home. If you're willing to pray and seek His face, if you're willing to repent and stay in a right relationship with God, you are making the most important step toward revival in America. And that's the only direction we can go to save our country. What does it look like to overcome the spiritual forces of wickedness in this world? It means that you're given that power, that freedom and power to share your faith and to praise God and to let others know who He is. We look about us and many people don't do that anymore. Most of us in this room were born into a country where most folks were patriotic, They went to church on Sunday, and they had a Bible somewhere in their home, and maybe they read it once in a while. But nowadays, we understand that Christianity is relegated to a wall full of religions, a pantheon of religions that many different people follow. There was a time when certain religions were heard of but not really known. And then we look about us, and we see all these different pagan religions popping up again. The same ones that were around in the days of Moses and Abraham are around today. The same ones that Paul struggled with when he was there on Mars Hill are here today. The same pagan gods that will fail you, that are not true gods, are still out there. And you say, what's their appeal? Why do people follow after that? Well, it's very simple. Satan has always masterminded the idea that if I give people what they want in the flesh, they'll worship me. If I'll just reach out to them and and offer them something that they would desire, they'll worship me. And you know what? He's just about right. Many people follow after a hedonistic type religion, one that will offer them the desires of the flesh immediately when they want it, with no sense of obligation to their Creator and their Lord. I'm thankful that we're here today to worship the true and the living God. Now, I want to think a little bit today about the idea of staying in that victorious circle. Of being that person of virtue that always wins. To understand that we we can never lose. The battle was won on the cross. The first thing I want you to think about is simply this. What are you willing to believe in and trust in this world? What are you willing to listen to and follow? Many people want to hear the quote-unquote experts. An expert is basically somebody that's retired and they're trying to make a little extra money, according to the media. media. That's what they're doing. And the expert's opinion is no better than the next expert's opinion. That's why I want to rely on the one truth, not opinion, but truth that I can find, and that's found in God's Word. What do you believe today? I look look around and I hear many different levels of concern about the state of affairs in America. I think about 20 years after September the 11th, 2001 and all that's happened. And America has taken a turn for the worse. We've gotten away from our understanding that America was founded on true Christian values. Now, is America a Christian nation? No. We're a nation of Christians. But we have not occupied as we should. We've not done the work of Christ. We've not fulfilled the Matthew 28 calling to make disciples. Look at the vacant pews. Look at the empty parking lots all over, in churches all over America this morning. The work has not been done And we must continue to do that. We need to learn to do it, not in a passive way, but in a very active way. These people are not simply missing the best of life. They're going to miss heaven and spend eternity in hell. Do you love those round about you? Do you love those who are lost, those who are your friends, who are sweet, wonderful people, but they they say to you and say to others, well, you know, religion's okay, it's just not for me. Or some of them in the back of their heart will say, well, I was hurt at church one time, so therefore I'm just not going back. I want to remind you it's not about church attendance. It's about a relationship with your Creator. He loves you. And for whatever reason you were mad and upset, always remember that family have a way of making up and restoring broken relationships. And in the family of God, we're to do that. We're to be faithful to that in everything that we do. What are you willing to believe? 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commands. And His commandments are not burdensome. The first thing we need to believe is the idea that God loves us. He's not here to punish us. He's not mad at us. Some people think that God is mad at us. No, He's not. He's concerned for us. When it's your responsibility to watch after a small child and and you take them in your backyard and they're they're teetering around enjoying themselves and you look over at a distance in the direction they're going in, they're heading towards a snake. You're not sure whether it's a poisonous snake, but it's a snake. That's all that you know. Do you very calmly stand there and say, I think you shouldn't go that direction? Or you say, let's talk a little bit about where you're headed. No, you don't do that. If you're a loving parent or grandparent, you're going to rush to that child, you're going to rescue them, even if it means putting yourself in harm's way. Why are we not concerned in the same way for the children of this world who are moving towards destruction? Some people think that because they're moving more slowly towards it, because after all, we have, what, a lifetime to make a decision for Christ? They think that suddenly... We shouldn't get involved. And that's kind of the way we do things. We're, we're all rubberneckers in life. When we ride along and we see a train wreck or, or a problem, we, we might look, but we keep going. I remind you that the Christian way is to stop and, and to be concerned, to love and to give and to do. I've always said that Christians have to get involved. Whether we like it or not, we have to get involved. We have to be there. We have to care about people. Because remember, the best way to introduce somebody to Jesus is to show them how he works in your own life. The difference that he's made to you and what you're doing. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That gives us the true understanding of who Christ is. He wants us to serve in this world. And you can serve in this world and you can serve Him in this world and you can still have a career and a home and a family. You can enjoy hobbies and adventures. Really, all these things are avenues for you to go out into the world and to minister as a Christian. Matthew 28 covers every possible scenario of lifestyle management and what you do. We're to be going everywhere sharing Jesus with everyone. Now... The question you have to ask when you come along with this and you look at the situation of the world is this. Who can bring about real and lasting change in this world? I look at our country and I wonder, how can we, how can we get back to the country that, that respected God, saluted the flag, cried when we saw that someone had lost their life Defending our country. We took it personal. They were defending us. And when we thought about the sacrifices made on days like Veterans Day and Memorial Day. It touched us. Because we realized our freedom was not free. How do we get back to that country? How do we get back to a country that can share their faith freely and honestly and openly and objectively? We're not afraid of debate and discussion. We're not afraid of somebody questioning what we believe. When somebody asks you a question and they doubt what you believe, they are opening a door of opportunity for you to plant a seed that the Holy Spirit can germinate and change their life through. Don't you dare run from it. Lasting change will not begin by us just being politically involved, although I think we need to be politically involved. We need to vote. We need to stand up for what is true and right. We need to be willing to stand in the gap in in levels such as our, our city council meetings and our county commission meetings. This is our community. And we best as Christians can help others become the person they need to be. But along with that, we've got to be faithful to share our faith and to make disciples. We cannot substitute that with anything. I've had people tell me over the years that, well, I attend church and and I've always been active in the church, but but I don't tithe. Um, Because they say, well, what I do in church is my tithe. It sounds real spiritual. The only problem is, God said to tithe. He said, where your money is, your heart is. And if you trust God with your soul, certainly you're going to trust God with your money, you're going to give. I've never preached a sermon on stewardship. I've never had to. This church believes in giving. Because this church believes in worshiping in totality. And if you come to church and you don't give, you've not really worshiped. Because you don't trust God with everything you've got. God gives us things that money couldn't buy. And like a friend told me many years ago, he said, whatever I give to God, is so minuscule compared to what he's given to me that he said it's an honor and a privilege and a dignity to be be able to be involved in some way and and just as as Harriet prayed for all of us a little bit ago for our offering and mentioned our missionaries, how they need what we give in such a special way. You realize that the day will come that you will go to heaven and there will be Somewhere in heaven, a long line, and you will be at the beginning of that line. And people will walk up to you and they will hug your neck and they'll say, Thank you. You gave, so this missionary came and I met Jesus. Thank you for that. We're going to see that in heaven. All the the missionaries we supported that brought people to Christ, we're going to meet those people. We're going to meet those missionaries there. We're going to meet those who were martyred for their faith, that were willing to die Because they believed dying for Jesus was better than living for the flesh. Those are the people that encourage me. And that's why we need to have lasting change. We need to bring it about in this world. We can can accomplish a lot of things in this life. We can change our part of the world. But if we don't reach out for Christ's sake to the broken in this world, we have failed the cause of Christ totally and absolutely. Being born again is, is not a buzzword. It means to begin a new direction in life. You know, the word that we use for one that's come to a conviction of sins and has changed, we say repent. And and the word repentance is a simple word. You see it all the time. When you see one of those arrows on a sign and it goes up and it loops around and goes back, that means you can take a U-turn. And that's what repent means. It means you can turn around and go back the other way. You're going the wrong way if you're following Satan in the world. And you can repent and turn and follow Christ. It's just that simple. Does it mean you have to follow a a certain set of do's and don'ts? Well, guess what? God places within your heart something that's amazing. I call it a spiritual GPS. It's, It's called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will guide you in all things. And this is the book as you read it that the Holy Spirit will guide you through. I've had people tell me, I don't understand the Bible. And they get saved and all of a sudden they'll say, You know, I never saw that before. I don't remember reading this before. The illumination of Scripture through the Holy Spirit is so powerful. And it's so important. It's important when we teach. And those of you here that are teachers and you teach scripture in Sunday school or or to a missions group or children's group, what you do is very important because what you do is you feed in very little, small doses truth. It's palatable to the system. that can change their hearts. always love to sit and listen to Gina do her children's sermon and watch the kids go back through there, mainly because I'm glad I'm not over there waiting for them because that's a tough group, you know that? I mean, they are, it's not t- tough that, that they won't accept what you're saying. They love what you're saying. They're just a tough group because they're going in ten different directions at once. But you know what? I know God gives us the grace to do that. Because Terry Austin sitting right in front of me. She's been teaching kindergarten for how many years? 41 years, and she's still alive. You can do that. It doesn't mean you do it Simply. You plan it out. And that's why as Christians, if if you're taking a friend to go fishing or out to eat or for coffee or to go shopping, and you know they're lost, don't just simply say a quick prayer, Lord, be with us today. No, don't do that at all. Say, God, over the next week before we go on that journey, please give me the words to say. Help me to plant the seeds in their life that will make a difference. If every member of this church would go after a friend or family member or co-worker that was lost, build a relationship with them, come into a a, a circle of trust with them so that they will listen to you on a different level than just a casual friend, and then share from your heart. I can't tell you the difference that would make. That's what revival is about. I had a man tell me years ago, he said, my idea of revival is getting a bunch of folks in and get somebody that's lived a rough life and has been saved and get a good choir to sing and just get it. I said, yeah, that's good. That worked 40 years ago. People don't come to church like that anymore. I wish they did. When I started out in ministry, they'd do that. You know where we're going to? We're going right back to where Jesus was, one-on-one. If you will read in Scripture, uh, Jesus was so effective one on one, and yet sometimes we're not. We'll start out in one place talking, and we'll never get around to Jesus. We've got to learn to do that. But thirdly, I want you to realize this salvation is a free gift, but it has a cost. Now, that's not the fine print at the bottom of the contract. That's not what they yell out real quickly after you have an ad for an attorney or a doctor. Not at all. Salvation is free. We don't purchase it. There's nothing we can do for it. It it is so precious, it's so valuable, there's, there's nothing we could offer in exchange for our own soul. Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. But the cost of discipleship means that we have to walk away from a lot of things that don't matter here's the good news if you turn your life over to jesus if you truly trust him if you begin that walk with him day by day you're going to lose interest in things that that seem to matter to you before and suddenly they grow pale in comparison to the life of christ it's incredible the difference it makes I've seen people who were mediocre in their walk with God. They were involved in church at a distance. They kept everyone away. They didn't want to get too involved for whatever reason. But then one day, something happened that changed them. Either they watched a friend go through a situation and become stronger with Christ, and it encouraged them, or they went through a tragedy or sadness, and through that, they, they grew strong because they realized sometimes Jesus is all you need when he's all you've really got. And through that, they grew closer. How we need to do that today. How we need to to trust Him today because we're the difference. As we remember our missionaries every week and we pray for them, I want to remind you that we have local missionaries. And they're called church members of First Baptist Church. They're choir members. They sit in the pews all around. They're working in the nursery or up in the children's church. All of you are missionaries. All of you. God has called you to spread the gospel. You are the most effective ones at doing that. We send missionaries to other places because we were called to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. But our Jerusalem, Selma, is so important. Let's see to it that we make sure that Jerusalem, or Selma, is the most discipled place that we're involved with that our hands are on it, that we make a difference, that we let people know that we love them and we care for them. You know, it's, it's difficult to love somebody that you don't know. A lot of people today don't want to let anybody else into their circle of friends. They've got a little tight circle and they like it and it's convenient and you know, they can text all of them. They, they've got their group te- text set up and they can plan their little activities and that's fine and no one ever gets inside there. Let me tell you something. If you do that, you're committing the most heinous sin that you could commit. As a Christian, we're called to expand our circle. To move into that area of discomfort, that's where Jesus really is. In that area of questionable things. When you don't know what the future holds, guess what? He's out there. Jesus always worked most effectively in the places that we had no idea what would happen. You know, a lot of us are like Simon Peter. It's exciting to think about walking on water until we get out in the midst of it. And we realize the ocean's bigger than we realized. And we, t- we get terrified. I've always said that the story of Jesus walking on the water to Simon Peter, the point of the story is not that Jesus walked on the water. It's not that Simon Peter walked on the water. It's that when Simon Peter was sinking, Jesus could save him. That's what matters. Miracles are miracles. And they happen. They're rare, but they happen. But the reality is... A God that can rescue you from your situation and restore you to where you need to be is the God you need to stay focused on for the rest of your life. I love Judson College. I'm heartbroken that that school is closing or has closed. I had the privilege of being on the Board of Governors for many years there and had the opportunity and I loved it to teach there for some time. School is not named after Adoniram Judson the, the great missionary from Burma not at all it's named after Ann Hasseltine Judson Adoniram Judson sweated out Burma's heat for 18 years 18 years without a furlough his first 6 years he had no convert none whatsoever he was tortured in prison he would cry and weep and pray, and nothing would happen. His wife's health broke, and he put her on a homebound vessel in the knowledge that he would not see her, most likely again. But he wrote in his diary this as, as he saw the boat go away. He said, If we could find some quiet resting place on earth where we could spend the rest of our days in peace, And he ended that sentence there. He just drew a line and he said this. He steadied himself with his remarkable postscript and he said, Life is short. Millions of Burmese are perishing. And I am almost the only person on earth who has attained their language to communicate salvation. Therefore, my heart is resolute and my duty is strong what an amazing man it's that kind of determination that's made christianity what it is adoniram judson did not create that he was following in the footsteps of his savior in many millions since then i challenge you church what are you going to do for christ what are you going to do to support the cause of christ you can't pay someone to do it for you. It would be nice if you could. i pay somebody to cut my front yard. But I can't pay anybody to be a Christian for me. I can't get to heaven one day and say, yeah, but so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so won people to Christ and, and I paid for them. No, that's expected. But it's demanded that you share your faith. You realize that here's the amazing thing. You are the vessel of the Holy Spirit. God didn't just simply, you know, I, I've been places before, and believe it or not, years ago when I was actually skinny, I used to run a lot, and I always loved going to certain run. I didn't do a full marathon. I'd do a half marathon. But one of the amazing things, what would you always get at the end of the run? And by the way, Jeff, I ran the Peachtree Road Race twice. Almost got killed the second time. That's why I quit. You know what it feels like to have 50 people run over your back? I do. Um, At the end of it, they give you a t-shirt. You know what's amazing? God doesn't give us a t-shirt. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He doesn't give us recognition. He says, you will will sit with me in the heavenlies forever. You will sit at my banquet table. You will celebrate with me. I am building a new house for you. You will not retain this place that's crumbling. All of this is given to us. We need to be excited about that. We need to share that. We need to make a difference. The worst word that was ever created, as far as I'm concerned, in church is program. And nothing against people that do programs. I've I've done programs all my, my life. But programs aggravate me because programs, as I've told you, they have a beginning, a middle, and an ending. And people love the ending. They like to finish the program and have their little snack and always say the same thing. What is it the Baptist saying we say? And a good time was had by all. You know what? Jesus never taught that. Never ever. Never brought it up, never discussed it. He said, I want you to repent. That means to turn around and go the other way, and I want you to follow me. He didn't say, I want you to go take this course or this this program for six weeks. No. He said, I want you to follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Who are you following today? You're following your grandparents or your parents or you're following your cousin or, or the boss that, that owns your business. You're following your best friend or your hero or your role model. It's okay to follow certain people and let them establish guidelines for you. But remember this, life is short. And you have this minuscule amount of time to serve Him. And yet your eternal position... In heaven is determined by what you do here on earth. You say, but if you get to heaven, you get to heaven. No. You have your lifetime here as a Christian to serve Him in such a way that eternally you will be thankful for that. And I pray that you will be obedient to Him. As Adoniram Judson said, life is short, millionaires are perishing. And I'm the only one that can share with them. Dear people, there are folks you're going to encounter in life in this week. That nobody else but you are called to share Jesus with them. You can talk to them about anything. Make sure you talk to them about Jesus. It's very simple. It's very simple. All you have to do, you don't have to explain theology to them. You don't have to explain the miracles to them. You you don't have to answer their five most serious questions about why they don't believe in Christ. You don't have to do that at all. Just tell them what you have seen, heard, and felt of Jesus. That's all. The Holy Spirit will work out those other things with them, and the Holy Spirit will take your words and, and apply them in a palatable way that they will make a difference. The Holy Spirit will cause those words to touch them, and you, for eternity, will be thankful. Become that kind of follower with unblemished integrity, one who considers everything that you do measured and as a gift of hope to someone. And you'll have eternity to be thankful for it. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much that your holy word strengthens us, but it also convicts us. It convicts us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. We know we have sinned, Lord. We know you are righteous, and we know that a day of judgment is coming, not in this world, but in the next. It is incumbent that we make a choice to do that which is right. God, I pray that you would speak to someone this morning within the sound of my voice. That in their heart of hearts, they've been talking to you for some time. They've been seeking what they should do. And and conviction has taken their heart. And they understand there's a choice to be made. But they're standing at a position of neutrality. May they understand right now there is no neutral place with you, Lord. Either we're for you or we're against you. And it's important if conviction has come in our life for us to repent. So, Lord, I pray if there's someone here this morning that there's a conviction of sin and they want to come to know you as Savior, I pray that that the Holy Spirit would give them the strength to walk down this aisle, speak to me. In a very short amount of time, we can pray and they can find sins forgiven. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that needs to come and join your church or to recommit themselves to the work of Christ here, Lord, I pray that they would hear your voice, and they'd respond. Lord, there may be someone here this morning that says, I've not won people to Christ, and I wanted to. Today is the day for you to come forward, to kneel at this altar and pray. And the Spirit of God will give you the strength to do what you so desperately want to do and feel that you're inadequate. Yet within each of us that know you as Savior, there's a Holy Spirit that is adequate and able. Father, may we trust you now. And may in this time of invitation, may we embrace the calling that you've given to us. For we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.